This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. The federal liberals spent the past week trying to move on from the brownface and blackface scandal. Recent polling shows the Conservatives did not get a bump because of images which surfaced showing Justin Trudeau costumed in brown and blackface from 2001 and earlier. In fact, the Zoomer primary gives Trudeau a 10% lead over Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. On Monday, Libby Snymer spoke with Andrew Scheer, who feels Trudeau's actions of the past will result in more Canadians deciding to endorse the Conservatives. Uh, Justin Trudeau has consistently applied a set of rules to other people that he doesn't apply to himself. And I think people see the duplicity, uh, the, the, the fakeness, the phoniness of, of how he conducts himself. And, and, and it leads to questions about his uh, honesty and integrity. That's what I've been hearing. So I, I know that Canadians are, are looking now at uh, our party and what we're offering. And so it's important for my, my focus for the next few weeks will be to ensure that uh, people get our positive message about how we're going to make life more affordable and help them get ahead. And the contrast between uh, a, a prime minister who's mired in scandal and corruption and, and myself, who is focused on making life more affordable, I believe will, uh, will be a very clear contrast and that Canadians will, will support our plan. So what are you offering for older Canadians? Well, we have a, a variety of measures that speak directly to seniors. Uh, I announced that as prime minister, I will increase the age credit, which will benefit uh, seniors, especially low and middle income seniors. Uh, we're promising to cancel the carbon tax. We know that seniors and people on fixed incomes are hit the hardest by the carbon tax. We're also going to take the GST and HST off of home energy bills. So again, leaving more money in the pockets of, uh, of Canadian seniors to help them get ahead. Is the election about making life more affordable and the promises, or is it about your character versus his? I think the, the, the ballot question is shaping up to be, who do you trust to make life more affordable so you can get ahead? On the issue of trust, people cannot trust Justin Trudeau. He lied to Canadians. He looked directly into the camera and he said that he had nothing to do with the SNC-Lavalin affair. We now know that he outright lied. He promised Canadians in 2015 that he'd balance the budget this year. He's failed to do that. He's broken that promises. So you can't trust Justin Trudeau. So when the various policy announcements are made and, and you look at what what is being offered and which party will actually deliver, it's quite clear that only a Conservative government led by me can actually make life more affordable for Canadians. On the issue of believability, so you have said repeatedly that you would not reopen the issues of gay marriage and abortion. I have to tell you that I hear from a lot of people who just don't believe you because you're reluctant to share your personal beliefs on these matters and to tell them whether your beliefs have changed since you spoke out 15 years ago. So what do you say to those people? 
Yeah, well, actually, uh, quite the contrary. I've, I've always been open about my, my personal beliefs. Uh, I've never uh, hid that. It's just quite clear that as Prime Minister, uh, I have to ensure that I'm governing on behalf of all Canadians and that uh, uh, and that we're not going to reopen these issues. On the subject of, of gay marriage, of course, society has moved on. I have moved on. Uh, we had uh, two elections on this issue. There were uh, debates. Yes. Pe- people had uh, positions on both sides, uh, and Canadians had their say. And, uh, and I've made the commitment that we're not going to reopen these types of questions and that uh, gay marriage is, is uh, same-sex marriage is the law of the land. It will continue to be. I will always stand up for LGBT rights uh, across the country. In terms of abortion, there is no law in Canada. Um, you've said that you would allow people in your caucus to bring it up. Well, on this on this particular point, nothing has changed for our party. Our party has always been uh, respectful of the fact that people have a diversity of opinions and a diversity of views on this issue. Uh, that is, uh, we are the only party that accepts that. We don't uh, force everyone to conform their uh, personal beliefs with 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 Justin Trudeau's views on these things. However, as Prime Minister, I've made the commitment that I will not reopen this debate, and as such, I will vote against attempts that that aim to do so. So, I believe it's in a healthy democracy. You, you know, you want to make sure that people uh, have the ability to hold hold their own views, uh, but that uh, as a that, that Canadians can have confidence, as they did when we were in government before the Conservative Party. Uh, you know, the Conservative uh, government, the Prime Minister, uh, voted against attempts to reopen this attempt. That's what I will do, uh, uh, reopen this debate, and that's what I will do in the future. Federal Conservative leader Andrew Scheer. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Still with reaction to the goings-on of the federal election campaign, our Tuesday strategy panel of Karen Stintz, John Capobianco and Charles Byrd joined Libby for the first time since the black and brown face scandal broke. I'm not sure we've seen a precedent for this thing in the midst of a federal election campaign. And it's becoming increasingly clear that, um, you know, however people interpret what has transpired. And I think, you know, there are a thousand different reactions to seeing the photos, which are shocking and unsettling and all those good things. That is really not having that great an impact on voter intent that we see at the moment. I mean, that may change. It may linger. It's difficult to determine. Um, but what it makes me think is that the prime minister's brand is is much stronger than anything we had previously calculated and that there seems to be um, a, a, something of a, of a strong consensus that he's clearly not a racist. I'm not sure folks know exactly why he did what he did 18 years ago or 25 years ago or 30 years ago. You know, his pension for the dramatic as a drama teacher is pension for costumes, self-admitted. But um, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's quite something. But I think it's reaffirmed the fact that he has some sort of alchemy with Canadians that where Canadians are willing to cut him a lot of slack because there are a number of other politicians at, in Canada and elsewhere who, I mean, they would have been dead in the water if something like this had happened. And, and he would have uh, killed them in the water if they were from his party. Uh, John P- uh, Capobianco do you agree with Charles? Uh, oh, I don't. I think that there's a huge issue here, and it it may it's going to affect his brand, and it's going to affect the liberal brand. But I think though that 
Canadians will take a look at this, and I think they're having discussions about this. I think it's going to linger. We're seeing some dip in the polls. We're seeing some dip with respect to people's perspective on, on Justin Trudeau. I think his popularity and his personal, personal numbers are going down, although, you know, the, the party numbers are staying, are staying firm in some cases, but we're getting some reports now that, that, that as people are polling or being polled over the course of the last week and weekend and, and over that people are starting to have uh, a, a, quite a few, uh, quite a few issues with respect to this. But this is an issue that, uh, I don't think Justin is racist, but I think that it shows a huge lack of judgment. And at 29 years old, uh, and by the way, at 29, Andrew Shear was deputy speaker of the House. So you can give, you have a perspective of, you know, who's, uh, who takes their, their careers uh, seriously. But, um, I would say that, um, at 29, he should have known better. Uh, and I also think that his apology, the first one on the plane was so lacking, uh, that I think it caused even more problems for him to have to come out a second, the second day and apologize again with a bit more compassion. Uh, caused a bit of problem uh, with him and, and with his party, but I do think it's going to affect him not only as a leader uh, into this in this campaign, but also if he gets reelected, how's the international? Uh, leadership and how's the international scene going to take him uh, in this case? Because he's been ridiculed by ev- everybody, and it's been national, international news uh, since it happened. Karen, what's your view? Well, I, I think that um, the Conservatives actually didn't play the narrative correctly on this one uh, because I, I agree. I don't think anyone thinks that Trudeau is a racist, and that's why this didn't stick to him. But I think the underlying issue around Trudeau is whether he's serious. And there's a question like, do adults do what he did? No, they don't actually. Um, if they, if they're going to a costume party, there's no need to, to, to do that. And so it's a question of is, is, is he, there's a frivolity and there is a, a lack of depth. I think that is really where the narrative should have been with the conservatives because again, we saw it in India when he dressed up. We see it in his apologies that he can't make on the ethics scandal. We see his first apology fell flat and then he comes come back with a second apology and, and then he he, he, he cancels he, he doesn't respond to the monk debate but there's a question is this man serious and how can we take him seriously as our prime minister well uh, you know it's it, the campaign is two weeks in uh we've got a huge amount of uh, of issues but to deal with and more policies to come through in the next little bit um but i think this is a huge uh, a huge hit to the to the liberal brand and i think more importantly to the prime minister's personal popularity which i think is uh, is going to carry this thing down in the next couple of weeks okay yes and karen you're wrap-up thing? Well, I think this is at the beginning of this election process, we talked about how much elections matter. And they do matter. And I think we're seeing that now. And I think that how um, the ongoing response to this issue is, I think, will be important for the Liberals and the Conservatives as well. Charles? I think the last five days have demonstrated that the Prime Minister's brand is remarkably strong, that he has a very special bond with Canadians, that his apology was heartfelt and did manage to resonate in the face of what was clearly dire political circumstances. I think Andrew Scheer has yet to find a gear that enables him to go up against Mr. Trudeau in a meaningful way. And uh, I would also note, we haven't talked much about it, but um, notwithstanding Jagmeet Singh's terrific response to the events of last Wednesday, um, his numbers haven't moved at all. And the Green Party, Lord, I mean, where to begin in terms of the opportunity (laughs) they've lost in the last few days? My God. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto. John Capobianco, Senior VP and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. And Karen Stintz, former City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. 
You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, members of Toronto's Board of Health voted to ask the provincial government to stop allowing vaccine exemptions on philosophical or religious grounds. If the Ford PCs at Queen's Park agree, school children will only be able to avoid vaccinations for medical reasons. Experts say refusing vaccinations puts everyone at risk, especially the most vulnerable, babies, the elderly, and people with compromised immune systems. Yet there was a noisy demonstration from anti-vaxxers in the public gallery when this motion passed. Staff and Health Minister Christine Elliott's office say she has no plans to eliminate philosophical or religious exemptions. Joining Libby to discuss, the NDP critic on health care, France Jelena. There is a large number of young women who have children who get their information about vaccination on social media by you know, movie stars who are anti-vaxxers and then make decisions for their children based on that information rather than the huge body of evidence that supports vaccination. Um, So uh, the Toronto Board of Health had to deal uh, with an epidemic last year that they should have never had to deal with because so many families had uh, chosen to not vaccinate their children. Uh, They had to act uh, to protect vulnerable kids who cannot get vaccination. And, And they did the right thing by saying, You cannot be exempt from vaccination uh, based on what you read on Facebook. They need the province to change the law in order to be able to make that happen. Like right now, Ontario is one of only two provinces where children have to be vaccinated in order to go to school. I think that's a good thing. Uh, But they would need the province to agree to get rid of this exemption. Uh, Where do you think that is, France? Uh, it's going to be a bit of a tough row. Um, so the Board of Health, the Toronto Board of Health, comes with a, a huge body of evidence. They come with a chickenpox, varicella chickenpox outbreak in Toronto last year, and they asked the province to act. Um, the Board of Health has some power to act uh, within their uh, geographical area, The minister, of course, has the power to act for the entire province to protect every everybody who lives in Ontario. Um, There is a segment of uh, Mrs. Elliott's um, uh, MPPs who works with her who tend to have, uh, I would say, listen to the anti-vaxxer and believe the message that are circulating on on social media and all this. So she may have a little bit of a pushback from her caucus, uh, but she is the Minister of Health. Her number one goal is to protect the health of Ontarians. And you do this by making sure that we have the herd immunity, making sure that everybody who can get the mandatory vaccines. One of the things that, that also seems a little strange to me, so right now, Every parent in Ontario who wants an exemption on religious or philosophical grounds has to, uh, you know, go and watch a government video on it. Do you have a view on uh, what should happen with those um, videos? Uh, are the people who run them aware that they're not effective? Uh, you know, have you had discussions on that? <laughs> they have to be aware. I mean, the statistics are there. Uh, they did not do. I mean, they give it. A, they give it their best shot. I take it. 
They have not been successful. So we have tried. Uh, the go and watch the video. It did not work. So let's not lose aim of what is our end goal. Our end goal is to protect children from dying. How do we do this? We do do this by vaccinating enough people so that we bring herd immunity to the sickest trailer of the children. And and we've tried. And, the, and older for, people for, as well. And, and older people as well who find themselves in, in a vulnerable state because of frailty, because of age, because of active diseases. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the, uh, we've, it, it worked for a long time. Then the anti-vaxxers took over social media. We've tried low visit to the health unit. It didn't work. We know that we can make this work. Uh, public health unit. Toronto Public Health has made it clear as to how do we fix this. It is now squarely on the lap of Minister Elliott, and I sure hope she makes the right decision. Ontario NDP health critic France Jelena. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. As part of a pilot project, the speed limit has increased on sections of three provincial highways. As of this past Thursday, the speed limit increased from 100 kilometers an hour to 110 on the QEW between Hamilton and St. Catharines, the 402 between Sarnia and London, and Highway 417 between Ottawa and the Ontario-Quebec border. While filling in for Libby on Wednesday, I was joined by OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt to talk about the change and what it means for drivers. One thing that I think is uh, an issue that needs to be addressed is how we share the road safely and properly. Uh, Regardless of the speed that you're traveling, if you can't share the road, that is where we start seeing a lot of problems uh, manifest themselves. Officers are going to be out there uh, you know, in that area and in all areas across the province, conducting uh, enforcement as they do typically every single day. Uh, the threshold for what is uh, speeding has changed, and there's a 10-kilometer uh, variance in that. But uh, the overall rate of speed, uh, often we see cars going well in excess of 110 kilometers as well, and we all know that. Uh, and so one thing that people should be aware of is uh, if you are in that zone, and you think that, uh, you know, normally I'm driving uh, 120, 125, 130, uh, that, uh, you know, I have an extra 10 kilometers of buffer zone. That may not, in fact, be the case. And even with the stunt driving legislation that's in place, that usually requires drivers to be going 50 kilometers or more over the speed limit. But in this situation, the Highway Traffic Act has been amended that instead of having to go 150, 60 kilometers per hour in this area, uh, a, a stunt driving legislation, a stunt driving charge will still be levied uh, if you're going 150 kilometers per hour, which is excessively fast. Uh, but uh, people need to understand that you don't have 50 kilometers of buffer zone in that area before your license is suspended and your vehicle is impounded. You're certainly going to get traffic tickets uh, before that as well, but you only have 40 kilometers before you're going to get charged with street racing. And I guess one thing I really want people to realize is that there's a lot of different drivers out there that have different comfort levels of how fast they feel uh, they should be going. And I will tell you that on the QEW or the 401 or wherever you're traveling where the speed limit is 100, there are plenty of drivers out there that aren't as confident and they're still driving 85 kilometers per hour and 90 kilometers per hour well under the speed limit. Uh, maybe they're uh, a little nervous on busy highways with traffic all around them. 
uh, truck drivers are still limited to 105 kilometers per hour, and they go considerably slower when they're climbing up uh, grades and hills and over uh, bridges and so on. They will slow down. And so it comes down to that speed differential. And if you think that now you get to go an extra 10 kilometers per hour, a lot of drivers will not change their behavior because they already drive at a speed that they feel is uh, safe for them, which may be at the speed limit or even below the speed limit. And now we're going to have that speed differential, which is a very big problem for us. Generally, when traffic flow is good, how quickly are people driving? Uh, For sure, they're going above 100. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and depending even on what lanes you're targeting, with a laser device that I have to uh, measure the speed of vehicles, if I target vehicles in the right lane, I will very very uh, consistently get vehicles going at or below the speed limit. And you may not believe me, you think it's so shocking, but uh, I'll maybe go out and uh, do a little bit of a, of a uh, update social media post you can, you can see. It, it is uh, surprising. People always remember the car that uh, blew their doors off going 130, 140, 150, but they seem to forget all the cars uh, that they passed that were going much slower than them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really is... You know, I challenge people on the highway right now, put your cruise control on at 100 kilometers per hour and see how long it takes for you to, to uh, bump into or get slowed down by slower traffic ahead of you. Oh, that's, a good, right lane, that's a good experiment. Yeah, it won't take long. When it comes to transport trucks, I can tell you from the OPP that commercial vehicles and transport trucks are involved in about 10 to 12% of all our crashes. So if you think that's the majority... Uh, you're very mistaken in that. The, uh, the the brutal truth is that of those uh, 10 or 12 percent of uh, collisions, they represent about 20 or 25 percent of our fatalities. So when big trucks crash, uh, there is the potential for serious injuries because of their energy, but they only account for a, a fraction of the crashes. Most of them, most of the crashes we get called to are Passenger vehicles, fender benders, uh, we've had about 50,000 crashes already this year. Uh, a typical year has about 70 crashes, uh, 70,000 crashes. And so, uh, you know, we're kind of, you know, within the, the margin of, uh, of normal. But uh, again, that's far too many. And I just don't want to see those numbers increase mm-hmm. with, uh, with speeds and people not paying attention. OPP Sergeant Kerry Schmidt. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Ron in Guelph phoned to talk about his firsthand experience with highway speeds. Now, I've been driving since 1975 professional and everything from Go Transit, Grey Coach, Greyhound, and I've spent most of my life on the highway. So I drive at 105 with the cruise control on, 106 because I can stay either behind the trucks or ahead of the trucks, and I drive in the right lane. I think the biggest thing is that um, people are driving too close together. I mean, I drove a highway coach when we could drive it at 120, when there was no traffic out there. Yes, I drove my coach at 120. Jeanette in Barrie called to say she likes the third place party in the federal election. Well, I totally trust Jagmeet Singh. Uh, he's open, he's honest, he's not bashing these other people. You, I think he's a genuine article. Mm-hmm. As far as Andrew Shear goes, 
we see what the Conservatives are doing in Ontario. The cuts they make are hurting all the vulnerable people. Our health care system's in a mess. Um, you know, he's uh, one of these people that is totally a Conservative, and Conservatives make cuts, and they don't worry about who it hurts as long as it doesn't hurt the wealthy. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Perry in Toronto, who offers his personal perspective on Justin Trudeau's decision to wear blackface in costume when he was younger. I am a 73-and-a-half-year-old black man born in Toronto. I am surprised at Justin's actions, regardless of what age, but having come from a knowledgeable, uh, near say, brilliant family, he had to know what he did was demeaning. And it isn't the fact that he thought he was having fun. It was the fact that he was just going to do what he was going to do. Now, it didn't offend me that he would do it. It bothered me that he didn't show any insight whatsoever. And some of his campaign over the last four years just seems to be in the same realm that it's, oh, well, I'm doing it anyway. He knew. He you think knew he, knew. he was going to get away with it. That's the life of privilege and arrogance. And we know arrogance uh, always comes crashing down. And also, you can't fix stupid. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.